Dynasty Podcast presents Dynasty Panelcasts, a live panel discussion with industry experts and innovative creatives. Hosted by Haima Black. No RSVP required. My name is Haima Black. I'm the host of Dynasty Podcasts. If you've ever come to one of these, you know what I'm going to say next. We are the first ever and longest running music podcast in the city of Chicago's history. Much more interesting than that, tonight is breaking into professional music journalism. And we have a killer panel tonight. I'm very excited about this. Uh, Directly to my right, Lior Galil, right? Yep. All right. And I know that people get that wrong from the reader. Thank you. We have Corbin Reef, who contributes to Rolling Stone, Pitchfork, the AV Club, every place on the entire internet. You can yeah. find me. You just, I'm out there. Thank you. We have Josh Terry from the Red Eye, the music reporter from the Red Eye. How are you doing? How's it going? And Tiffany Walden from Chicago Tribune. How are you? Thank you for having me. So, clearly, I, wow, it sounds incredible in here. Sorry, I'm just in awe. This is our first <laughs> panel in here, and it sounds amazing. Um, the panel tonight, incredible. I'm very excited about everybody here on the panel. I know we just went down the line with your names, but why don't each of you kind of give us an overview of who you are, what you do in the music journalism space, really kind of elaborate on that. Which way, which way are we going? And anybody can, any, anybody can start at any time. You're the veteran. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, hello, I'm Lior. Uh, yeah, I'm a full-time staff writer of the Chicago Reader. I freelance for a few other places. I have a Red Bull Music Academy radio show that's uh, focused on Chicago artists that airs once a month. Next episode comes out next week. Uh, freelance for the AV Club occasionally, Consequence of Sound occasionally, kind of all over the map. Uh, I'm a Scorpio. I like... Yes, yes. Yeah. Me too. Uh, oh, no way. Yeah. I am too, yeah. Yeah. Hey. This is <laughs> interesting. Weird. Okay. Lesson one, be a Scorpio. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's... That's about me. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Corbin Reef. Uh, I'm basically just a freelancer writing uh, for a lot of different publications, Rolling Stone, Pitchfork, AV Club. Uh, I write about news uh, on the weekend for Complex. So if uh, Rihanna gets a tattoo of Drake or whatever, that's my purview to, to write about that. <laughs> um, I'm writing a book right now about uh, concerts, uh, the greatest of all time. So that's taken a lot of my time. And uh, yes, yeah, great to be here talking to you guys. I'm a Scorpio also. All of us are Scorpio. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, hi, I'm Josh. I'm a Scorpio. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the rest of the panel. That's it, yeah. And you're like, as Scorpios, how do you break into... Yeah. We're going to go around and ask everyone. <laughs> so I'm the music reporter for Red Eye Chicago. Um, I cover local music. Before that, I freelanced. Uh, I was staffed at Consequence of Sound, and I freelanced for the AD Club. I'm Tiffany Walden, and I'm also a Scorpio. This is crazy. <laughs> um, I freelance for a lot of publications in the city, uh, Chicago Reader, Chicago Magazine, Chicago Tribune. I'm about to start doing some freelance work for Live Nation, and um, previously I freelanced for Ebony Magazine, also interned there as well. So yeah, that's about it for me. Right on. What an impressive lineup. Um, so I think the place to start with this, because we have a lot of people in the audience, how many of you guys in here are interested in some level of like becoming or... Um, growing as a music journalist. Okay, so there's a lot of people in here who are like here exactly for the theme. They're not just here because they wandered in from Shake Shack next door. Um, <laughs> I wandered in from Shake Shack next door. That's loud. Jeez, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I like Shake Shack. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's start with this. Like, there's all these people in the room who are interested in this field or maybe they're already in it but they're looking to 
you know, take it to the next step. How did each of you become involved and get your start in music journalism? Well, I guess I can go first. Um, <laughs> uh, so in college, I interned at Ebony Magazine. It was my senior year. Um, I knew someone who was the editor there, um, Adrian Samuels Gibbs, and she went to my school as well. Um, so I just started working in the arts and entertainment section for her and was interning and did whatever she asked me to do, whether it was opening mail, organizing mail, um, you know, writing little short things on a website. And uh, that's when I learned that I was, you know, really passionate about music journalism. And um, I had a kind of weird trajectory, though. After that, I, it was it's hard to get a job <laughs> in magazine journalism, especially out of college without having to go to New York and be poor and you know live on someone's couch. And I didn't have the uh, luxury of doing something like that, so I went the breaking news route. I uh, took my first job in Texas in the middle of nowhere, a place called Abilene. They have like an Air Force base. That's literally all that's there. Um, so I was there for a year, and then I left and went to Orlando Sentinel. I was there for two years covering breaking news, crime, murders, all kind of stuff. and. Um, realized that that's, that's not really what I wanted to do and that I still missed arts and entertainment. So I took a leap of faith and moved back here in December and um, just started sending blind pitches. And Chicago Reader was one of the first ones that allowed me to uh, write for them. And I was shocked <laughs> when, I, when they let me do it. So. That was a good story. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so that's kind of how I got my start. Um, yeah. So I kind of fell into it which is weird. Um, in college, I was like studying to be a psychologist and really was into that for a while. And then I had an English minor and part of it was you needed an internship somewhere to complete your minor. And so I applied to the AV club. And then amazingly, like I got, got it. Like I apparently killed the interview. Like they're like, do you have any clips? And I'm like, well, here's a research paper. Um, <laughs> developmental psychology and then they're like well what are you into and I talked about music and TV and they're like oh you seem like a perfect fit and so I kind of thought that I was just going to be a um, sort of like someone to get the writer's coffee I thought that was going to be the internship but then I they I got in and then they're like all right write something and then I was really bad and then I got better I kept doing it they kept giving me assignments and then after college graduation, I was like, well, maybe I won't go to grad school. Maybe I'll write about music on the internet. And then it took a while. Like, pitching right after college is the hardest thing in the entire world because yes. you have no idea how it works. Mm. You have no idea the protocol. Like, I never took a journalism class in my life. <laughs> so I'm like, well, here's an album. Can I write about it? And the answer is always going to be no. So I took like a month to just like sort of gather my bearings and like figure out. I read all the time um, and wrote and ended up getting a job at Consequence of Sound. And I worked there for uh, about two years. And then during that time, I was also freelancing for the AV Club. And then so a year and a half ago, I got staffed at Red Eye Chicago. And so that's sort of the very Cliff Notes version of how I got my start. <laughs> I should just note real quick that Lior and I freelanced for a hot second together at the Onion AV Club, right? Yeah, wow. Man, like that's a been a while ago, ago. Yeah, yeah. But I just think it's funny that the Onion AV Club is like the... It's, it's a bit of an incubator, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right, cool. 
Yeah, I had a, a similarly weird uh, entryway into this whole uh, profession. I was uh, I joined the army right out of high school, so I spent five years in the army, and then went to college um, on the GI Bill, so I could kind of chill out a little bit. Didn't have to worry about. Uh, paying for tuition and everything. So I just started blogging and I blogged specifically and only about Jimmy Page, the guitarist from Led Zeppelin. And uh, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. Anyway, so <laughs> I was, I set up an interview with this guy uh, named Big Jim Sullivan uh, in England and I was supposed to talk to him because he worked a whole bunch of sessions with Jimmy Page back in the day and I was curious about it. He agreed to do it. And then the day before our interview, he died. Um, so that kind of bummed me out, obviously, and then uh, I wrote a whole big thing about it on my blog, and then this guitar magazine uh, saw it and asked me if I would write a 3,000-word feature about this guy, uh, Big Jim Sullivan, which is something I'd never done before. I spent like a month on it, um, and it was good enough for them to give me some more work, and, and I got some clippings going, and then I started, I was living in Seattle at the time, so I started working for the Seattle Weekly, uh, writing stories for them, uh, and then Kanye West came and launched his Yeezus tour in, uh, in Seattle, and I wrote my first story for Rolling Stone that way, and you just built and built and built until uh, here I am today with uh, a whole bunch more credits to my name. <laughs> just a weird entryway. It just goes to show that there's no uh, right way to do this thing or right way to get into it. Yeah. Uh, well, I was born in 1985. Um, <laughs> so, uh, like a lot of people here, I, I, uh, I started writing in college for a bunch of college papers, and I booked shows, too, like had Girl Talk and like our little... Uh, coffee house in a castle. I went. I went to a school called Brandeis. We had a, a castle on campus. Yeah, we booked like a bunch of shows there, and, and like a and packed too many kids into a, a very small room. Did a lot of dangerous things, but um, yeah, music was always present. And when I graduated, I ended up doing AmeriCorps for a year, which was a great experience, but not what I wanted to do. Uh, and I remembered. Uh, like Corbin over here, blogging uh, was was kind of my entryway because I remembered a bunch of people that I went to school with. That was what they did on the side, and and it was their kind of entry into whatever they were interested in. Uh, one of uh, th this one guy that I had, uh, we were thesis partners our senior year, and he had to drop out of doing the thesis because his uh, his site just pretty much took over his life. He, uh, he blogs about the Oscars, like does Oscar predictions, and the year before our senior year, he got in like Variety and the New York Times and all these places for correctly guessing all but two of the Oscar winners. Uh, and he got a job with the LA Times right out of school. Nice. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite professors at Brandeis is this guy named Wayne Marshall, uh, who has his own blog called Wayne and Wax, which is just, if you are unfamiliar with it, go seek it out. It has everything you could want to know about like electronic music and reggae and hip-hop and uh, really eye-opening professor and really fantastic writer. And I was just like, I should just write for myself because there's, you know, I don't know how to pitch. I don't know what I'm doing and uh, I just want to write for me. And that's kind of the first step. So I started an emo blog because I, uh, I like emo a lot. Um, yeah, and it was like 2008 and nobody liked emo. So I thought it was like a, a good entry for me to write about something that was divisive and that nobody cared about and that I could just kind of like go my own way. Um, and eventually I had, uh, I had enough clips that I started writing for Bostonist because uh, I was living in Boston at the time. That site is now dead. Uh, and then I could finally figure out how to pitch to the Boston Phoenix, which is the all-weekly out there, which is also now dead. Wow, this is a... I <laughs> uh, came out to Chicago for grad school, went to Medill, and was freelancing while I was there. Uh, got my first reader clip while I was in school. Um, actually, while we were while my class was working on a project with the reader, uh, which was like a really cool coincidence. 
Um, so yeah, I graduated, and as I was telling everyone before, I tried freelancing full-time. I didn't try it, I managed to do it, but at first I almost took a job on legacy.com, which is uh, an obituary website. Uh, <laughs> and I was going to be a comment moderator. Um, <laughs> And I, I, I got the job offer, I think around the same time I actually got a job offer to be a freelance music editor, assistant music editor for the reader. So I, uh, I took that and I just kept freelancing for the reader until Miles Raymer, who was the previous music writer, the music writer placed, moved to Brooklyn and we kind of split his job until he finally uh, decided to leave the paper entirely and I, I, got, I got all of the job. So yeah, that's, that's how I'm here. <laughs> so, okay, first off, I liked emo in 2008. That's good. Good. Yeah. You're the other person. Thank you I'm for the other. Yeah. <laughs> I was the person reading me like, right on. Um, I'm hearing a common theme, which is like, there was a lot of blogging leading up to kind of where you guys are now. So that was going to be one of the points that I wanted to touch on is like, for anybody in the audience, anyone listening to this later, watching this in the live stream, how do you view blogging? I think some people still view it a little bit dismissively, but do you think it's a really necessary starting point for somebody who wants to develop and grow as a writer? Sure. There's... Uh, well, I mean, really the only way to, to get better as a writer is to write, and write a lot, and a lot more than that, and then write even more than that. So, uh, just in terms of, you know, being able to get a lot of thoughts on the, on, the, on the page, and be able to get your thoughts out there in the open, kind of figure out how you think, what you think, the way you observe things, the way you form opinions, what you feel about things, what you like, what you don't like. Uh, it's a great process to kind of go through that um, and, and really develop your own audience, you know, figure out what people expect from you, uh, figure out how to, uh, you know, serve your audience best. Um, it's just a really great, great way to cultivate your skills. So, I mean, it's not the, the, the only way, but it's a really effective way. And it's a great way to make mistakes and fail and Absolutely. learn from your failures without like everyone looking at you. Uh, and, and to know that this is a thing that you're interested in uh, because you're gonna wanna keep going back and, and, and you know, writing for yourself. And that, if you wanna get into this field, uh, <laughs> that, that has to be like the, the, the main thing. You wanna do it because there's nothing else that you wanna do because like music is an essential part of the human experience. You know, like that's, that's why you want to do this thing. I think I'm the only person on this panel who didn't blog. I didn't blog either, so I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Get out. So, what, <laughs> so for me, for, I always knew, because like growing up as a music obsessive, we always read music journalism, and um, we all like read Pitchfork, Rolling Stone. And I knew first off before I wanted to be a music journalist or a music writer or critic or whatever, that I knew the kind of writing that I hated. You know what I mean? Have you guys ever read an album review where you're like, oh God, what an asshole, you know? Yeah. And then you just like think like, wow, I could do this, you know, or something. <laughs> and so like the more I read music journalism, I sort of was thinking more like, all right, here's how they started this story, or here's how they started this review, here's how they ended it, here's what they talked about, why did they do that, instead of writing about anything else. So the more I read, the more I sort of like knew in my mind like, if I were to do this, how would I approach it, you know? And so, like, reading for me, and I also wrote, but I never published it. I was always one of those, like, afraid of people clicking on a Tumblr page <laughs> and then find that they could blackmail me with later. Um, but, yeah, like, I think reading was as important as, like, just having, like, my notes page, like, when I was listening to an album and just writing down my thoughts. 
I agree with that. Um, I got my, you know, I, I read Vibe magazine. That was it for me. Vibe, Double XL, Source, and, and Nickelodeon magazine. I will admit to reading that too. <laughs> um, but you know, I, every month I had to have the latest Vibe, and I, you know, have I still have a lot of those Vibe magazines. So for me, it was like you know, watching Danielle Smith or watching all of these people, you know, write these stories these iconic stories cover these iconic people and then you know watching them interview and how people interviewed on BET or whatever the case may be on TRL and all of that that was what inspired me too um, and then in college I just wrote for a couple of like local, um, of the magazines that we had on campus but I never really blogged either I was afraid <laughs> of someone reading something and being like oh she doesn't know what she's talking about <laughs> so um, that's what kept me from blogging but I applaud people who did Obviously, journalism is becoming more and more competitive, though. Um, and each of you has been able to turn it into a career, turn it into work, turn it into, like, you know, this is your profession. And not everybody knows how to get to that point. So, like, as this becomes more competitive, as there are fewer opportunities, as journalism, blah, 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 all the stories you always hear about, like, how, what advice would you guys give for anyone in the room, anybody listening, who is like, okay, how do I get this from, like, a Tumblr post to, like, me writing for the reader or pitching to Pitchfork? Well, I had to start small, too. Um, I came from breaking news, and I was at the Orlando Sentinel, and I came back to Chicago, and I didn't have any contacts here. And I also hadn't written any, any music journalism at all. So for me, it was like, how can I get my foot in the door in any kind of way? Um, so I went to Fake Show Drive. Um, I just pitched the story to Fake Show Drive, and Andrew was really nice about it. He was like, sure, you can do it. Um, I think my first story, I can't remember if it was on Seasick or it was on Stunt Taylor, actually, because um, I knew someone that knew him, so I was like, I had access to him. Um, and that story did really well, and then he let me do another story. I did one on Seasick right after uh, he produced the Meek Mill uh, mixtape, and then... Um, I did a story on Serta Baptist. The Serta Baptist story is what kind of got me a little bit of recognition. Um, the editor at Chicago Tribune reached out to Andrew after that on Twitter and was just like, this is high quality verbiage. And I was just like, really? High quality verbiage. <laughs> like, That'd be a good name for on? a blog. Yeah. And, and you know, fake sure they don't really edit their stuff. It's just like whatever's up there is up there. So at that point, he knew that like, you know, this was, you know, you wrote this and this is, these are your words and there's no editing involved. This is you. So that's what kind of led me into, you know, the Chicago Tribune and then also into Chicago Reader, too. It was just, you know, I knew fake. I wasn't getting paid with fake shore. <laughs> I knew that going into it, but it was like, if I'm going to try to get my foot in the door, I just have to take that opportunity to do it. And he already had a following me. So it's like, you know, why not do that? Yeah, um, I was lucky in the fact that, like, my first writing experience was with the AB Club. So... Mm -hmm. But after that, I was no longer an intern, so it was like, okay, I gotta make, make my way back up. So I wrote for a site in uh, the summer after graduation. I don't think it exists anymore. It was called The Airspace, and they just kind of was like, all right, you write about music, do whatever you want. So it got like super weird, but it was really fun for me to like write and sort of test out my voice. But I think like, if, but when I got my first like job job in music, I had like a couple clips and they're all like either news posts for the AV club, which is basically all I did there when I was an intern. I did one interview, so I had that. And then like a bunch of basic blog posts from this website. And 
yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing to like really put your foot in the door. It's like you have to, I don't know, it's, a, it's either luck or like knowing someone yeah. or like, you know, <laughs> being charming at a bar when you know like a writer, other writers there, you know, like something like that. It's, um, but yeah, it, like, it's just the most important thing is to just gather as many clips as possible. It really doesn't matter where it is. Be it, if it's a blog or Tumblr or uh, paper, it's just trying to get your foot in the door. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to be passionate. I mean, you, mm. you really got to want to do this, like Lior said, because you have to do it. Um, I've never had a, a really like long-term paid position. I've never been really an editor. Just been writing and writing and writing and writing for different places, mostly because I just didn't know what else to do. Uh, <laughs> I, I just uh, it was just in me to keep 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 plugging away and, and building contacts and being nice to people and you know uh, going to you know I was lucky enough to go uh, to live in Seattle with the. Uh, the EMP pop conferences, so I made a lot of uh, contacts there um, when I was starting out, which was really, really cool. And I met, you know, Chris Cornelis, who was the Seattle Weekly uh, editor at the time, and he, you know, gave me a shot, let me write some stories, uh, which was really cool. Uh, got to interview a lot of people, got to uh, review a lot of concerts, build my clips up, so that, you know, when the national publications were having things happen in Seattle, I was, you know, ready to say, hey, I cover this kind of genre, I've done this kind of thing, I can, you know, I can do it for you. And I never really really paid attention to, I mean, I guess to my detriment, I, my, you know, my student loan debt, would, even with the GI Bill, would be a lot less if I had paid more attention to, 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 <laughs> to doing more, uh, more stuff, but um, it just, you know, I guess you can't go into this profession expecting to make a lot of money, and, and you just got to really want to do it. <laughs> I mean, that's the bottom yeah. line, and be dogged about it, and, and take no with uh, grace, because you're going to hear a lot of no. Um, but you know, just be a friendly face and uh, be uh, someone who's reliable, and uh, you know you can you can make some headway. I'm only in it for the money. <laughs> uh, the, the way I got in was uh, standing outside of an editor's home, like Lloyd Dobler, and going, "This is the album I want." That works you. too. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of like a weird, circuitous way. The way that I first got my uh, my first like paid freelance clip was. Um, my senior year, I booked a uh, talk by Ian Mackay, if any of you are familiar with Minor Threat or Fukazi. Um, uh, I booked one of the bands on his label Discord, and they were telling me, like, yeah, Ian's partner is pregnant, and he can't really, like, he's, you know, he wants to, like, go out and tour, but they, you know, his band, the Evens, with his partner, uh, they, they can't tour. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you can bring him up here, he'll, he'll come up. So I booked him uh, to come talk, and a uh, writer for the Boston Phoenix uh, wanted to come and said he, I, I don't believe he could make it. He's close friends with somebody that worked at my university who actually dated one of the members of REM and was like the inspiration for their song, Don't Go Back to Rockville. <laughs> Lots of weird connections, but she put me in touch with this writer, James, uh, James Parker, who now writes for The Atlantic, I believe, and he helped me figure out how to put together a pitch. Uh, and that was right after I graduated, and then it took about a year for me to figure out how to actually do that. Mm -hmm. Like, he gave me all the advice, and I just couldn't, I didn't know how to do it. So again, writing for myself really helped me establish, like, what, what I needed to do, and, like, how to actually write. Um, and uh, relentlessness was also key, because I didn't give up on wanting to, like, pitch to the Phoenix, which was a paper that's like the Chicago Reader. It's, it's something that I like held dear to my heart the minute that I moved to Boston. And I think my familiarity with the paper eventually helped me get, you know, land a story. I also learned like, learned the patterns of, of uh, All Weekly. Like I knew that it published on a Thursday 
And so it had to go to press two days before, and Wednesdays were typically the day that an editor would be able to read emails. So I emailed on a Wednesday. I didn't hear anything for like two weeks, and then I did a follow-up, and I made sure to leave enough breathing room that I, if I got the pitch, I could actually write it, and it ended up working. So uh, I was really boneheaded and just kept like knocking on that door until it opened. So something that I think, you know, again, you guys have this going for you, but obviously I bet a lot of, I bet this happened a lot coming up. Like sometimes you're not going to get paid for your writing. Like, (laughs) so for anybody in the room who's like, okay, well, great. You were, you know, you've writing about Kanye for Rolling Stone. That's awesome. But like I'm writing for free for my school paper. Like, I guess, how do you view that? Like when, or should you take free assignments? Like what's the value of doing that? How do you move from free writing into getting paid? Like, you know, I think for a lot of people, that's a major kind of, you know, M&M eight-mile divide, right? <laughs> yeah, I, it is. I, uh, that's, a, that's a really tough question. I mean, should you write for free? It depends on the circumstance. Um, yep. If a publication can pay you and it's expressed that they, they would pay you and it's, you know, the, tr- the way it normally works uh, is they, they do pay you, then, you know, don't offer to write for free. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's just kind of a taboo thing in the industry. You know, your your work is worth something, uh, even as you know they, they you know people say you know the valuing state of journalism. You know, um, you know your time and your effort and your energy and your opinions matter. Uh, and if people are going to read them, you know you should be paid for them. Uh, now, if you're blogging, if you're just doing it for yourself, if you're doing it for a friend, if you're doing it for uh, you know just to book shops, if you're doing it just for pe- you know because you're passionate about it, if you're doing it for a student paper, that's all great. Um, but you know, make sure that you get paid if you're if you're you know writing for an alt weekly or newspaper or magazine or some sort of publication like that. You have to be honest with yourself too. I mean, I came from again Orlando, Orlando Sindo. I had a full time job. I was salaried. I had benefits. <laughs> you know, um, and then I came back here and I recognized that you know I I'm I'm going into something different. You know, it's music journalism. I haven't I have not done that before. So I was prepared to you know not get paid for a couple of the first articles that I did. It was just the exposure and it was just the the opportunity to be able to you know meet and network and you know connect with people. Um, that I took advantage of, and then you know now you know now I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, I'm not really gonna do anything for free unless it's like you know I mean if it's going to Lollapalooza or something like that, you know it's the opportunity of you know I get to go to this festival, you know I'll do this for free maybe, um, but you just have to be honest with yourself too, know your situation as well. Um, I don't have. I don't have I don't have a, a, a family where it's like you know I could be supported if I was just up writing for free. So that's why I also took the the path that I did take to get to music journalism. Um, whereas you know some people do they are able to go to New York and lay on someone's couch and just write for a year for free. So you have to know you know what your situation is. You know don't don't go homeless trying to <laughs> write about music as well. Yeah, it's it's always so tricky because. Um, chances are if you're starting to write you're not going to get paid Mm -hmm. which in a perfect world we would all get paid like per word for our first feature (laughs) but that that didn't happen um i think like once you get to a position where you're writing for a site that you know has money get paid you know like if you get a freelance assignment accepted by an editor be like sweet can we discuss payment if the editor doesn't you know like one thing that I, if I were to tell myself to do it over again, I would be much more aggressive about payment. Yeah. You know, because like one, I was just excited to be there, but two, I needed to pay my rent. 
and you know, and timidness and that count won't get you anywhere. And if someone's like, oh, you're a little pushy about payment, then you probably shouldn't be writing for that site if you true. get to the point where you should be getting paid. Absolutely true. You know? Yeah, it's kind of just to reiterate what everyone else is saying. They, you know, there's a line that you're eventually going to want to draw mm-hmm. if you're trying to do this professionally uh, to support yourself because you know, we all need fuel and, and as much as I don't like to think about money or talk about money, it's, it's fuel. So, um, again, on the same time, at the same time, I have definitely been in positions where I've written stories for free because I knew it would help me get from A to B. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I did some things for, once I graduated from grad school, I did some things for Wired's, like, culture site because, like, oh, this is on Wired's front page. Yeah, I'll write this, like, thing that's, that's like, in my head right now and that, like, I can't get anywhere else. And, Sure, I can do that this like this one or two times. Right. I unfortunately went to Lollapalooza for for no money uh, at one point for the reader actually because I was on the precipice of potentially getting a job. The, the job that I currently have, Miles was you know planning to move, and I thought I had to do something to prove myself, you know, prove my dedication to the paper. I don't think that that was the thing that did it. I think it was as much like the work that I had done for the paper before that, but I, I did want to show that I uh, had my interest there. And I believe I got extremely sick right after that. So <laughs> don't go to Lollapalooza for no money, especially yeah. now because it's four days. Oh my God. And that's yeah. insane. <laughs> so something that's coming up a lot is like when you're pitching an editor when you're pitching, you know, an outlet, like, talk about what goes into that. Again, for anybody in here who's like, well, I've sent some pitches, and I didn't hear, you know, let's kind of break this down into a couple things. Like, A, I've sent some pitches, and nobody wrote me back. Should I follow up? And B, how do you develop a good pitch, you know, for an outlet where you're like, my dream is to write for Rolling Stone, or like, my dream is to steal Lior's job at the reader, or whatever it is, right? Your dream is theft, jeez. Uh, man, um, I, like everything else, it's practice. Uh, it, yeah, it took me, I, I've been kind of out of the game of pitching that I don't know that I'm the appropriate person to ask about this. Any freelance work I do now is kind of like an editor at Rolling Stone will be like, hey, you, you like emo, you want to do this? I'm like, yeah, I do like emo, sure. Uh, which happened, yeah. Uh, but at this point, like, uh, the main thing to keep in mind is the voice of whatever publication you are reaching for and making sure that the story idea that you have is actually actually fits that publication because it might not ever and you don't want to like fit a square peg in a round hole is that's a that's an idiom yeah yeah i'm not great with those um that's kind (laughs) of like the main thing from there obviously it's kind of like a give and take like what the publication needs as far as like head time and, and like generally concision and being concise is like the most important thing. Yeah. If, uh, you know, editors, depending on the size of the publication you're writing for, get a ton of emails mm-hmm. and I mean, I don't get as many ed- emails as my editor and I just want to delete most of the ones that come in my inbox because a lot of them are like PR for like baby wipes was a thing that I got the other day. Like, you're, you know, your email is going to be slotted in the middle of all yeah. those and you want to grab them right away. So that's, mm-hmm. that is the, the main thing. And as far as like not getting a response back, I think, I think I'd said earlier, but with response time, you got to know that like, yeah, some of these people just aren't going to back, get back to you at first or ever. So follow up, but not like, don't 
yeah. be too relentless about it. You know, uh, I think I think that's just like common common sense. Because freelancing is all about the hustle, but it's also like don't be obnoxious about it, which right. is something that I had to realize pretty quickly. Because like I was like, why aren't they responding? They must hate me. <laughs> but that's not at all. I was just sending very bad pitches. So like what I realized like after I got a lot of no's early on that. Number one, you have to know the site that you're pitching. And number two, you have to know your strengths. And you have to know, do your strengths align with that outlet? And is that, are your strengths something that that outlet is missing and should cover, you know? And so for, I remember like some of my first pitches, I was like, hey, um, I, this is me, this is what I write about, this is uh, sort of my expertise when it comes to music. This act is doing this on this date. I've interviewed him before, or I've interviewed, or I've reviewed the record before, and then here's how I would go about it. And it'd do that in like two paragraphs, tops, and then sort of have like your pitch right out in front. And that's sort of like a short guideline that I was like, all right, is this something that I'm just trying to make a paycheck, or is this like actually a really good pitch? You know, it's like, if I were on the receiving end of this email, would I be like, I'm going to hire this young whippersnapper, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's a weird sort of dance that writers and editors do. Because being on the opposite end of it, like, I'm not an editor, but I get pitches from writers a lot. And so it's like, I see people making the same mistakes that I did. Like, for instance, Red Eyes Music covers local music because we're a local paper. And it was like, hey, so there's this rapper, he lives in Idaho, and I would really <laughs> like to do a Q&A with him. And I'm like, sounds cool, but this is a Chicago paper, you know? And so it's like knowing, knowing what the site already does is crucial, and also knowing how you can do it better it is also crucial. I agree with that. Um, one of my first stories in Chicago was um, for the Chicago Reader, it was the J-Quest story. Um, and I had got an email from one of my um, high school friends. Was his is his uh, his publicist just started um, doing some PR work, and I got the pitch, and I was just like, okay, I'm gonna try to give it to the reader. Um, but then Philip was like, someone is someone else pitched this too, and I was just like, okay. <laughs> so then he's like, you know, I have to choose between you two. What are you gonna do? And, and at that point, I was just like, I have no idea what to even say back. Um, but coming from the, the breaking news kind of investigative background, I was like, you know, let's, let's pitch a story as, um, you know, Christian rap. When you go to black churches, people kind of, you know, frown at Christian rap. And even, you know, outside of the black church, just, just music heads in general will frown at Christian rap. Um, and I was like, I'm just going to pitch it that way. Like this, this guy, he's a pastor. He's a Christian rapper. Uh, that seems to be some sort of conflict. So I will explore um, why Christian rap isn't accepted in the black church. And that's how that story kind of took off. And um, it became kind of an investigative thing for me, too, because I didn't grow up in, you know, church like that. Gospel was not um, a genre that I'm, you know, super strong in. So I went into it as if it was like an investigation. I was like, well, I'm just going to you know, investigate gospel and why churches don't look at it that way. And um, I have a friend who's a preacher's daughter, and, you know, that helped a lot, too, with just throwing out names and, and throwing out people to look at and people to talk to. So um, that's what set me apart for that story. I, don't, I still don't even know who else had pitched it, but that's what set me apart, I guess, to do that one. And it ended up on the front, on the cover of the reader. That was my first story here. Um, 
So it was exciting. It was nerve-wracking, but it was exciting. <laughs> yeah, you know, keep, keep it keep it short. Keep yeah. it sweet. Um, you know, like editors, writers that you know on on staff have uh, very little time to go through all this stuff. So you really want to get to what you want to write about, why you should be the person to write about it, what your angle be, and two paragraphs, like Josh said. You don't really want to you know put yeah. too much out there, too much they can pick apart, too much where they just glaze over. Right. Um, also, some great advice I got really early on is um, pitch stories that require like reporting, uh, you know, physically going somewhere, physically talking to someone, because those stories are the kind of stories that you know, um, you, anyone can do an album review, anyone can do a, even a concert review uh, to some extent. But you know, if you if you're the person who has a different perspective on something, some knowledge base, some contact with, uh, with an individual. Um, those are the kind of stories that you know grab readers uh, that are different that'll set you apart. So you know you kind of want to keep your eye open uh, for kind of things that are going on, uh, things that have gone on in the past. Anniversaries are always a great opportunity to kind of revisit things. Um, so you know, just kind of try to be creative uh, and, and find a different angle on things that you've uh, seen and uh, come up with a different way to write about it. So we'll do one or two more kind of quick lightning round questions, and then we'll open it up to Q&A here, because I would imagine you guys have some questions. Yes? All right. Some very soft <laughs> nodding. Um, <laughs> Sweet. So first off, like, you know, we've been talking a lot, I think, about, about text and writing and print and, and web journalism in terms of, like, you know, words and copy. But how do you guys feel about the idea of journalism now being extended into, like, audio, video, you know, even social platforms like something like Snapchat. Like, could there be such a thing as a Snapchat journalist, in your opinion? Like, how do you view specialized journalism in other mediums, you know? I mean, uh, I went to Medill for grad school, and one of the, you know, benefits of that was that we were, we, we got essentially, like, trained in everything. So when I got out of grad school, I could be like, Hey, I have this really horrible camcorder. I don't know why we had to buy these things. I can curse, right? Yeah. Oh, Fucking yeah. Fucking horrible camera. Uh, and I was like, I can do video. Like, like I have, I have the equipment. I know how to use this stuff. Like, and and it was a matter of figuring out what the story needed to like come alive. And most of the time, like I, you know, I write most of the time. But like, if audio is going to do a piece better, then yeah, I'm totally game for that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The more avenues that open up, you know, the more potential there is for people to actually get interesting new angles on something that either we're unfamiliar with or something that we, we think we know everything about. And that's what we're here for is to like inform the public. And yeah. Yeah. I, I love audio storytelling. I think that that's some of the best writing because, you know, you're not looking at something. You have to tell this story and, and, you, and this person has to understand what's going on and, and be in that environment while either driving a car or whatever it is that you may be doing. So they're, they're bringing you into the scene, you know, a lot of times in those audio stories and, um, you know, at the same time having a conversation with you but still, you know, telling you the story. So I think that the, that's really talented form of uh, journalism to me is the audio storytelling and video. I love video too. I'm, I can't, I'm not the best shooter. I came from Medill too. Um, but I was a magazine journalist, so I didn't get the whole in-depth video uh, training. But people, I, I think video is great, too, if you know how to do it. And, and it's definitely a skill that people are looking for um, mm -hmm. in, in, job, uh, in job requirements. Like, if you have video skills, then you automatically rise up in the pool. I think, yeah, I mean, it, it's story dependent. Um, I love video stories and audio oh sorry I love video stories and audio stories but I'm 
not good at video for a <laughs> while. Uh, Red Eye interviews, like my dream interview is meet the artist at a bar and then have a conversation or something like that. But when it's videotaped, ooh, I'm not good at it. But there is definitely a place for all that. And as long as I don't have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what they said. I mean, yeah, pretty much. But I think also, uh, Josh, you brought up a good point here, which is it's good to know your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. It's good to know, like, all right, like, on the printed page, like, that's, you know, my best space. Whereas, like, maybe if you're, like, 17 or 19 right now, video might just be, like, your native language. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So... You know, I think final question that I wanted to close out with before we open it up to Q&A from the audience here is each of you, obviously, is based out of Chicago as a journalist. And granted, there's a lot of really exciting things happening in Chicago, especially in the music side. But a lot of people move to L.A., a lot of people move to New York for a lot of the creative arts. Like, what opportunities exist as a journalist, music journalist, as a, you know, creative in Chicago that give us an advantage versus, like, moving to the coasts? Yeah, I think Chicago is the best place to be doing it. Um, I know that there isn't the wealth of jobs that there are in, like, L.A. or New York, but I think if you want to carve out your own lane, this city is the best place to do it because it's one of the most supportive arts communities, one of the most supportive journalism. Like, we all know each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> We're all Scorpios and we know each other. But, like, it could be a whole handful of Chicago music writers in the city. Chances are we would all know each other, too. Yeah. You know, it's a very good place to, like... Granted, I don't have the experience living in New York, but I know New York people... And it's yes. much more cutthroat, and it's much more uh, every man for himself. But here, it's, it's a great community, and you can, like, talk to anyone and learn some things or see someone else doing it, and it would be very easy to carve out your own lane here. I think uh, you had that great story uh, recently where you clarified the stereo gum st- like scene report thing. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think that kind of goes to show that, you know, a lot of people have this perception of, of Chicago, what Chicago is uh, along the coast, and it doesn't necessarily hold true. There's a lot of great vibrancy to the city. A lot of great artists are coming out of here. And, you know, it's not hard to find, find them and talk to them and, you know, share them with a larger audience. You know, it's a, it's a hell of a big city, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and there's a lot of opportunities to expose a lot of people to, to that. Uh, and I think that's, that's, uh, that's a really great uh, thing to, to have while living here. And just look at all the other, you know, national publications. They're looking to Chicago for the different trends. I mean, you got Complex talking about footwork, and I never yeah. imagined in my life that <laughs> I would grow up and someone would have an article about footworking. Like, yeah. um, so you know, Chicago is a, is in a really good position right now, and on the artist side and on the writing side, and. Uh, you can go down, like you know, they say, you can go down the street, meet somebody, and they're an artist, and all of a sudden you write a story about them, and they blow up, and you were yeah. the one that exposed the world to that person. Um, so, like, I wish I was here when Chance and all of them were right. coming out. You know, I was in, I don't even know, I think I was in Texas when that was going on, but I can't imagine what that was like, you know, covering that whole scene when it was, you know, exploding at the time, so... It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> and, cool, and, look, man. and look how it's paid off. So. Yeah, I'm here. Um, I mean, the fact that Peter Thiel yesterday was like the umpteenth person to say, move to the coast, kind of suggests that like there's so much more going on elsewhere in the country. Like, if your entire worldview is just like, oh, yeah, these two cities, it's just where everyone is, that is unbelievably untrue. And that's not unique to like 
uh, you know, like the, the situation of people like, hmm, yeah, maybe I'll move to New York to make it is, um, I think it benefits those who make the, you know, take the risk of, of staying behind. Um, I'm reminded of uh, uh, Steve Hyden. Steve Hyden? The, yes. the, I, I can't believe I forgot his last name. The rock writer who used to write for Grantland, now does stuff for Op Rocks, recently released a book. And uh, when Grantland shut down, he had this beautiful... Facebook post, geez. Uh, um, uh, he, he wrote this thing on Facebook about, like, the, the point in his life where he decided, should I move to New York or not? And he's just like, right. I could have just moved to New York and become lost. And I knew I wanted to stay in the Midwest where my heart was, where, you know, he's, you know, he's from Wisconsin, he lived in Milwaukee, and he figured out who he was as a writer and was able to grow as a writer in a way that he would have been suffocated had he moved to New York. And Chicago is just one of many cities that there's benefit for sticking around because, yeah. like, yeah, it's not constantly under the thumb of, like, the two places where people think that the entire world exists in this country. And it also separates you from the pack of, yeah, like, the majority yeah. of music writers live in New York, yeah. and they cover New York acts. Yeah, so yeah. and that's boring. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, <laughs> and the internet, like, shows there's a gigantic world out there, you know, beyond New York and L.A., beyond Chicago, but... If you're gonna pick a place, hell, this is a, a fantastic one. It's like, it's huge, and there's so much. It's exhausting. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, like, and a scene explodes in Chicago every four years. Like you look yeah. at like the last three decades, and it's like you have House and Industrial, you have Smashing Pumpkins and Wilco, you have R. Kelly, and then Kanye West and Fall Out Boy and Flostradamus and blah and on and on and on and on. And it's on average like every four years, there's right. this new creative renaissance here. So it's like, I think if you stay here, it's almost kind of like, well, if you miss that bus, there's another one coming pretty exactly, soon. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So. I mean, the cool thing about it is that all these artists are so young. Yes. The ones that are really blowing right. up. So it's like they're planting the foundation for something truly special and like has a lot of longevity, hopefully. Yeah, it's really cool to get in the ground floor or something, too, because it's really hard to get access to artists once they become really, really big. Right. So yeah. it's kind of cool to, <laughs> to look back and be like, I know him when. I talked to him. He's a cool guy. <laughs> And if you're from Chicago, it's cool too. It's like you're cheering on friends, you know. Yeah. At least for me, at least two or three of my friends either went to school with some people or like you know know them through somebody else or that somebody's cousin or something. So you know, it's it's just really exciting to see that happen, especially when you're from here. So we're gonna open it up to Q and A in just a moment, but I want to throw out some shout outs here. Um, before we do that, as we wrap up the recording segment of this, the podcast, we usually ended it before the Q&A. Um, I really want to give like an enormous thanks to our incredible panelists. And I mean, this was so good. Uh, Lior Galil, Tiffany Walden, Josh Terry, Corbin Reeve. Thank you guys so much, man. You killed it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Also have to shout out Michael Wing up here. Sandwich between the two computers, running the audio and live stream. This man works very hard. Michael Wing from Autograph and Future Factory. Um, he produces all these events, and that's why it always looks and sounds so good. And thank you so much to Chicago Athletic Association and the whole team here, because this venue could not be more incredible. If you're listening to this on the podcast, like come to Chicago Athletic Association in, the, in Chicago sometime. Obviously, that's where it is. Um, it's a gorgeous hotel, and this room could not have been better. So thank you to everybody. And we'll open it up to Q&A now. You've been listening to a production of Dynasty Podcasts. Find more Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the dynamic dynasty, Dynasty Descend.